0: To lean on. Psalm 46, a shoulder to lean on. In the passage of Scripture, we read these words God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth shall give way, mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Come see what the Lord hath done, the desolations he hath brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. A number of years ago, I had a radio program in southwestern Oklahoma, and the name of it was Learning to Lean, and so I wanted that song so I could, that was the theme song for the show, um, and the idea was based off Psalm 46, that I'm leaning on God, I am my refuge is him. There was a small congregation in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains, and they were in the... Program to build a new sanctuary, and they'd built a new sanctuary. And um, it was just 10 days before they would open the doors for the first time. And uh, as happens sometimes, uh, the city showed up and said, You do not have enough parking for your building, and you cannot open your building until you have enough parking. Well, the church had spent, first of all, all its money on the building, and so you would. You would think, but it happens. I mean, I've had people come in. We were building buildings. I've had them come in and tell us to move a whole electric panel because they didn't like where it was before we could do it. And the first guy told us to put it there. The second guy told us to put it somewhere else. Then the third guy came and told us to put it in the first place. The first guy told us. So it's, it happens, even though you wouldn't think it would. Stuff like that happens. So the church had, had not only used all the money, they'd used every inch that they owned, or at least usable inch, uh, they butted, as you would imagine, in the Smoky Mountains right up against basically a mountain. Right behind them was, you know, trees and, a, and a, another chunk of dirt that they couldn't park on, obviously, uh, not unless they could stand the cars up like this. And so the pastor announced that the next Sunday evening they would meet and that they would pray that God would move mountains. You know, that's what they needed done. They needed to be able to open the church in that amount of time, and so they prayed. Twenty-four people came of the 300 that were members of the church, and they prayed for three hours, and then uh, from 7 to 3, then at 10 o'clock, the pastor said amen, and everybody went home, and he said, God's never let us down before, and I don't think he will now. Next morning at 8 o'clock, while he was in his office, uh, the pastor heard somebody knock on the door, and a guy came in and said, excuse me, pastor, uh, my name is John Smith, and I'm um, a construction manager for Acme Construction, and we're, we're building a shopping center down the highway here, and we need fill dirt, and we've looked all around, and we noticed that you have a mountain right behind the back of your church of dirt. Do you mind, at our own expense, we will empty out that back part of your church, and we'll even pave it when it's all over with. And, and if you'll let us do it now, we will do all that in three days because we have to have that dirt or we can't continue building. And so they moved, they set up, they opened, and they prayed in their new building. Wouldn't it be nice if all the things of this world flowed like that? It'd be great. You know, if all our prayers and concerns were met with such a, a positive and immediate outcome, that just as soon as in the story as after we prayed, something happened, and you could see the hand of God, and fortunately... You and I would probably agree the world's a little bit more brutal than that, a little more extreme than that, a little bit more honest than that. It's unfair sometimes how our prayers are not as quickly answered because we are on God's timeline, and not ours. Life can be brutal. We experience grief, and our friends experience grief. We experience the grief of our friends if they really are our friends. Here in Oklahoma, a tornado can come through, a fire can wipe out something, cancer can be told that it is coming, and then your life is now a drawn-out series of suffering events. Friends and family let us down. They're not there when we need them. They don't show up when it's time. But in Psalm 46, there is hope. There is hope from a God on which we can be dependent, a God who doesn't let us down, a God who doesn't break his promises, a God who is dependable throughout all the problems that you and I experience in life. Psalms declared this truth when he was talking to these people who were experiencing physical danger. Uh, you, You looked at the nation Israel and you see what was going on and here in a society in which we are encouraged to, as we've said a number of times, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We need to hear what the psalmist says and declare that God is dependable. The God of the psalm that we read tonight is a dependable God. He is a shoulder on which we can lean during the problems that all of us face ultimately. But how is that so? How is it That God is dependable. In what ways is the God of Psalm 46 dependable? I think, first of all, God is dependable through his protection over us. God is dependable through his protection over us. The psalmist declares that God is, he says, our refuge. You'll see in a moment, we'll look at verse 1, verse 7, and verse 13 later uh, and how they. Hold this whole psalm together. But God is our refuge, even in the moments in which what seems permanent begins to change on us. There are those things in life that seem to be permanent, but they change. I think it's a wonderful promise when we look at this passage of Scripture and begin to answer the question how can this be true? well, it's true because the Bible says so. You and I uh, believe the Bible, and that's easy for us to say, but it's more than just that. I have, and I believe you have, found it to be true, not just because the Bible says, but you and I have experienced it to be true, that God is dependable. We are told in Psalm 34, 34, oh, O taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man that trusteth in him. We trusted in God. We have trusted in God and he has shown himself to be faithful to us. Jesus said, if, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak from myself. That's experience. Uh, sometimes we, we don't base our salvation on our experiences. We base it on his grace. But we base our hope and our trust on those experiences that we've had with God. He has found himself in our lives to be faithful. So that when you read John 17, 7, or 7, 17, rather, when Jesus says that, just trust, see if if it's not true. We know that it is. In times of trouble, you can count on God. I think it's Christians that fail to trust God in times of trouble because they may not have experienced fully his sufficiency. Maybe they may have just on the surface level trusted God and never really laid all of their problems out for him to deal with. Not fully trusted him. They've trusted him in a moment in which They felt the call of God for their salvation, but then they, like a child who holds their favorite toy and does not want to let it go, we hold on to our problems thinking that we need to deal with them, which is not true. We need a God who does not fail us. We need a God who is sufficient in any circumstance, and that is the God of Psalm 46. Though the earth be removed, it says... King James. Though the earth be removed is the most extreme circumstance that I can think of, you know. <laughs> a lot of things can be changed. A lot of things that seem permanent will change. And here he even uses the earth as an example of permanent things being moved in our lives. Even though the earth be moved. You can count on God. I have never had the earth moved out from underneath me. I've had it shake a little bit. <laughs> But I've, I've not had it completely moved out from underneath me. I've never sus- been suspended in space. That's never happened. Most people think they're the only ones that have ever had any trouble in their life. You talk to them very long, and it sounds like they believe they're the only ones that have any trouble. I have a few family members like that. Everybody has trouble. But but God's people find, I believe in this passage, sufficient help in time of trouble we sang the song a mighty fortress is our god it's based on psalm 46 martin luther wrote it it was his favorite psalm and he wrote this song a mighty fortress is our god based on psalm 46 a mighty fortress is our god he must have had that in mind when he thought of the refuge god is our refuge god is our strength god is he says a very present help in the times of trouble and times of danger. Men down through the ages have found that to be true. But God is there for us. After great tragedy strikes, God can protect us, sustain us, be a refuge for us. Though friends and family fail, God' protection feels almost like a blanket at times in the way that he covers us. He's a shoulder to lean on. He does care for his children. The Bible tells us he does. A shoulder to lean on. When employment may change, when life may change, when our home may change, when all of that comes to an end and is no longer, I still have the protection of God and I still see his dependability. He hovers over us protecting us. Some time ago I'd read, I'd uh, seen, not read, but seen uh, one of the nature shows. I think it was on the Nature Channel, I can't remember which one it was, but it, it was a show about pandas, and the description was, you know, how baby pandas were born, and, and this show was one of the first, if not the first, to actually have a camera in place and see the birth, live birth, of a, a panda in the wild. Uh, they had pictures of, you know, panda babies and in um, uh, zoos and things like that. But this was in the wild. As they were watching it, it, it is amazing how this animal that seems so tame and lovable is so aggressive when it's protecting its young. You would expect that from a mother, but, I mean, all of a sudden, the little sweet, cuddly panda bear becomes aggressive If you get near its child, its child really is no larger than a gerbil. You can hold it in your hand when it's born. Interesting thing about it in the Nature Channel show was that for 28 days, what the mama panda will do is stretch itself out over on top of wherever it is, the baby. And for those 28 days, it will not eat. It will not sleep. It won't even go to the bathroom. It hovers over that child and protects that child, that cub, while it grows and gets to a size that it can sustain itself without its mother's immediate help. I look at that and I think of God and what he does for us. It is His omnipotent presence that overshadows us, that hovers over us, that is a shield in the circumstances of life when I have problems and I have trials. He is there protecting. Second, God is dependable through His presence with us. Look at verses four through seven. Uh, He says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is dependable through his presence with us those verses say I, you know the, the summits uh, that it talks about the, the, the places we rise to are amazing the, he talks about even though the world may be destroyed by water sometime it, there is that which flows through the city that is God it's his presence the same thing that might destroy something is something that can bring life when it's in God's control And he flows through our life. It's the presence, it's symbolic of his presence within his people. Uh, There are a lot of cities in Europe that that have rivers that flow through them. They built uh, on one side of the river and then they went to the other side of the river and they built on that side of the river and then they built a bridge across two sides of the river. Then they'd build around the city and, and they'd have a fortress around the city, but they would have water that ran through the city that gave it life and protection. They had water sustain them through sieges and other events. That's the picture that you get here. The idea of God's presence with his people is a basic element when you think of the Israelites, when you look back at their, their movement. The, the presence of God with Moses. You, you see him, you know, the reflection of God in his face. He is there with them. When Moses acts, God is there with them. He led them by the cloud. He led them by the pillar of fire. And in this way, the people knew that God was with them. You and I worship Jesus, and we call his name what? Emmanuel, God with us. He's in us. He's near us. He's he's inside us. And, And in the times of trouble, we can lean on that shoulder that is with us. He's not far and away. He's not somewhere hidden in heaven. He's not in some other country. I don't have to go somewhere else to find Jesus. He's here. He's with us. He's in us. And therefore, like Jacob of the Old Old Testament, who, when he left his country and went somewhere else, was surprised to find that God was in another country. Now, if you read that story very clearly, you'll discover that. Jacob was like, you're here too? In the Old Testament, many of the people believed that their gods were gods of places. There would be an Asherah, a god of the trees. There'd be a god of the plains. There'd be a god of the rivers. There'd be a god of the mountains. And different organizations, countries worshiped those gods, and those gods were limited to those places. And Jacob bought into that mindset and thought that, you know, the God of Israel is here. When I move, he's not going to be where I'm going. And he discovered that's not the case. God's everywhere. You and I don't have to be like that. We, We don't have to worry about going somewhere where God is not. He's with us. Let me see if I can illustrate that. It's a little long one, but I I found it to be appropriate. Airport security and the presence of God. Airport security in the presence of God. Airport inspections are. Yeah, <laughs> they are, aren't they? They are invasive now. Uh, you know, they have X-ray machines. Lines are longer. You you have to have your luggage certain size and checked in a certain way. You you approach. This with some sense of trepidation. Be there an hour early, two hours early, three hours early, you know, sometimes to make sure that you can go through all of this, especially on special holidays. You have to allow yourself enough time to get through the lines that are there now. You have to take off your shoes. You have to take off your coat. You have to open up your briefcase. uh, You have to open up your laptop to make sure, you know, you can only have the little bitty bottles, you know. know. I I always wondered, if enough people were on the airplane and had enough three-ounce bottles, couldn't they put it together and make something bigger? Well, whatever. Uh, you can't do that. You wind up throwing things away that you really don't want to. You know, y- you wait at the curb and you go around two or three times trying to to get in, maybe. Or or your or your family waits in one section on the phone, you know, waving at you. Why used to be you could go, you know, up to the gate with them. You can't do that anymore. Now they check your luggage, even if you don't see them checking it, they put a little card in there and said, we checked your luggage. But you can pretty much tell they've checked it. It's all in disarray if you've ever had that happen before. You know, once upon a time, it was almost that difficult to find God. At least it was for the nation of Israel. You you had to buy a ticket. Well, in essence, you had to buy an offering. And you had to bring a special kind of offering and there was special ways to bring that offering specifics in which you came in which you brought that offering whatever kind of offering it was a a thank offering or a sin offering or whatever it was it had to be inspected for blemishes somebody had to look at it and make sure that the presiding priest said yeah that's okay you can take that in and of course they checked your scrutiny you you, in many cases, only Jewish people could proceed any farther. You had the court of the Gentiles. And if you were Jewish, then you could proceed past the court of the Gentiles. I guess that's all the family waiting out there like it is in the airport. You know, all, all you Gentiles wait out there. And then that that place, you know, once you got past the the Gentiles and you got into the next place, that was a place of the money changers. That's where Jesus, you know, up rooted the tables and through everything. I guess that's where uh, Thomas Cook and American Express had their tables or whatever. You know, They're sitting there. Next layer of protection was the uh, Court of the Women. And so the women could go past that next, but they couldn't go any farther than that. Uh, they were allowed to worship. In this place, there weren't any tables to sell things. There were only um, donation boxes. So when you think about the widow and the widow's might, this is probably where, when Jesus tells the story, the widow puts her offering in. This is the place in the progression that she probably was when she got to put her offering in. The Jewish men could go to the court of Israel through the gate of Nicanor, and it was also there where the lambs and the doves and other sacrificial animals were slaughtered, where the men were. Beyond that was the court of the priests only the priests could go and they had to wash the hands, they had to wash the feet, they had to do a ceremony for them to get past the men's court into the next court and I guess you could see that as employees only, <laughs> you know you had to be a priest to get past that and you couldn't be just an average Joe or you know Joseph I guess, <laughs> they're Jewish they're Jewish after all you know. and the next level the sanctuary was divided by 12 steps into two parts. There's the vestibule and the lampstand, you know, the lampstand that we look at the menorah today that people use in their Hanukkah celebration. There was a big one there, you know, for that. There's the showbread, the, uh, the, the table of the bread of the presence of the Lord. There was an altar that was offered on each morning and evening and in the center of all of that was the Holy of Holies that only one guy went in once a year and they tied a rope on him in case he died so they could pull him back out because nobody else could go in I guess no disrespect intended but I guess that's the the last security gate that anybody could go through. And then you were home free. Not. (laughs) Because then you were in the presence of God. I look at that and I see that's how hard it was to talk to God without Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's how hard it was to get a message from the Lord. Sometimes when you went in, you came out dumb because you couldn't speak. We know that from the New Testament. Now you're talking in sign language, trying to explain what God told you in the Holy of Holies. It's amazing how easy it is for us to talk to God and how hard it was for the Jew. Barrier after barrier after barrier after barrier. But for us, there is none. He's with us. Three. God is dependable through his position over the earth. Look at verses 8 and 9. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has wrought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. It's a... An awful scene of destruction when you look at that passage of Scripture. Apparently the nations were willfully acting against God, and God was acting against them. He was devastating those who were not following him. Um, God's power inevitably will win. Maybe not this year, but next year it will win. Men may think they are ahead, but not when God is in control. Ultimately, he wins. God will proclaim himself Lord of the earth. He is Lord of the earth. And he'll be seen as Lord of the earth. And ultimately, he is in control of human history. We joke about saying it's his story, history. I like that. It is his story. History is his story. His dealing with us. Genesis 1 declares emphatically that God created the earth. There's an, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, so it is clear that God did it. Uh, the first words in the Bible say that, that God created. And yet, He tells us to relax. It's what the passage of Scripture says next Be still and know that I am God. We tend to be dependent on ourselves and our own strength, and yet God says, Be still, relax, and know I'm in control. Why are you trying to live life under your own strength? Why are you trying to to live that? Relax and let me live it in you. Let me let my strength live in you. Let me work the stuff around that you worry so much about. In a world where people are concerned about themselves over anything else, is it any wonder why we need to lean on God? We're taught to depend on ourselves. It's we're, we're talked down to when we don't depend on ourselves. And we don't try to live up to that. But yet God says, lean on me, not on yourself. Whose shoulder are you leaning on? There in verses 1 and 7 and 11, there's threefold confession that, that says that God is present. You look at the verses in 1, 7, and 11, and it says they call him God, the Lord Almighty, and the God of Jacob. Those are the expressions they use to to refer to the Lord. He is the great king over the world. He, He is professed again and again lovingly as the God of Jacob because he made a covenant with them. He promised to be with them. He promised to be their God. And so they mention that over and over again because it's, it's a wonder to the nation of Israel that God has chosen them. They do recognize that. He is for us. He is with us. He is near us. Uh, the meaning of Yahweh and the meaning of Emmanuel, he's here with us. He's ever present. He's the source of Israel's strength. When they turn to him he's the source, he's the refuge he's the rest, he's an asylum, a place they can run to for safety uh, a fortress isn't usually an elevated place uh, where people, it's a stronghold built against the enemies where you can look out over the vastness of the enemies there and feel safe because they can't get up and get you and when the people were in distress they could run to the Lord just like that and lean on him he was close Bruce Larson uh, was pastor, uh, Presbyterian pastor. And he tells of trying to help people struggle with the decision to follow the Lord. A lot of people had a hard time just turning their life over to God. And so he he said, "I worked for many years in New York, and I counseled a lot of people at my office in downtown." And they would wrestle with this decision, yes or no. He, you know, he was an intellectual individual, and uh, you know, a lot of people came to him who were smart and wanted to argue and debate with him, and he would argue and debate. But ultimately, he would take them across the street to the RCA building, and there, in the lobby of the RCA building, was the statue of Atlas. You know the story of the guy that's carrying the world on his shoulder. He said, "Here's this." perfect picture of this well-muscled man who is straining under the weight of the world. He can barely stand up against all of it. And he turns to the people. He said, is that the way you want to live? Is that how you want to live? It's one way to live. You can do that. You can carry the weight of the world on your shoulder. But if you would follow me, I would show you another way to live. And then he would lead them across the street to a Catholic church church, St. Patrick's Cathedral and there behind is in the chapel is a little high altar and it's a statue of an 8 or 9 year old Jesus and in his hand effortlessly is the world which way do you want to live? leaning on your own power with the world straining to break you or leaning on the one who holds the world in his hand like it's a ball we have a choice we can carry the world on our shoulders or we can lean on him let's pray heavenly father we come to you and thank you for your word your assurance your clarity in our life it It rings true to us when we hear it. It it strums the heartstrings of our heart, and we know it's true. And you've offered us a place for refuge in a world that does not love us, a world that strives against us. We have a place we can go in you. You're with us. You're near us. We don't have to look for you. You're with us. Help us to lean on you to trust in you, to believe in you, and quit trying to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders when you have already taken it all on yours. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.